Hello and welcome to today's episode of The Quad Shot, where we help you down and digest the day's most pertinent cancer news. It's January 18th, 2022. Welcome to The Quadcast. Let's dive in. First up, small changes. You shouldn't proceed into 2022 without brushing up on the 2021 ESMO guidelines for the management of small cell lung cancer. First is workup. A brain MRI is recommended for everyone, and so is a PET, whenever employing definitive radiation with coverage of gross disease only. Interestingly, despite recent advances in systemic therapy recommendations, there is currently no role for assessing pdl one status. When it comes to treatment recommendations for limited-stage small cell lung cancer, not much has changed in the past two decades, meaning 45-grade delivered in 30 twice-daily fractions over three weeks with concurrent cisplatin and etoposide remains the tried-and-true standard. Radiation ideally starts with the first cycle of chemotherapy but can be delayed until the second or third if needed to meet necessary dose constraints, in which case you should still include the pre-chemotherapy nodal volume, but can reduce to the post-chemo primary lung tumor volume. Prophylactic granular radiation, 25 gray and 10 fractions, should continue to be discussed with patients with good response to chemoradiation for limited stage small cell lung cancer, but... Close surveillance is reasonable for anyone with limited or extensive stage small cell lung cancer if they are willing to comply with regular brain MRIs, meaning every three months for the first year and then every six months thereafter. What has changed in the past couple of years is the addition of atezolizumab or devalumab to first-line cisplatin and etoposide for extensive stage small cell lung cancer. In patients who achieve a response to this, consolidated chest radiation, 30 gray and 10 daily fractions, should be discussed, as should PCI. In addition, lurbanectidin is a newer, targeted agent approved for second-line therapy. The bottom line is, contemporary ESMO standard of care for small cell lung cancer includes definitive radiation to pet avid disease only, the option for frequent MRI surveillance in lieu of PCI, and the addition of a TZO or DERVA to first-line chemo for extensive stage small cell lung cancer. Thanks to Dingemans, Annals of Oncology, 2021. Up second, a chance to cut. Back at ASCO 2020, we were disappointed by the results from the EA2108 trial, which showed no benefit to early local therapy for de novo metastatic breast cancer. Here we have the full publication with subset analyses. EA2108 makes the fourth reported randomized trial asking whether local regional therapy improves survival in metastatic breast cancer, but only one previous trial reported an improvement, MF0701. In EA2108, 390 patients were enrolled and 256 
moved on to randomization after not progressing on initial systemic therapy. Most, at 60%, had hormone receptor positive HER2 negative disease. They were randomized to continued systemic therapy or local regional therapy consisting of standard surgery with adjuvant radiation as indicated by the extent of local regional disease. Most had mastectomy at 70%, and almost 60% received post-mastectomy radiation, while 85% received post-lumpectomy radiation. In the systemic therapy arm, one in five ended up receiving delayed local regional therapy at three years. There was no difference in overall survival with the addition of local regional therapy, both arms at 68%. Across almost all subgroups, there was no indication of a benefit with local regional therapy. The exception was a small proportion of patients with triple negative breast cancer who actually had a higher risk of mortality with local regional therapy. Hazard ratio was 3.3. A minority of patients at 12% had oligometastatic disease, three or fewer lesions in a single organ and they did not have improved survival with local regional therapy. When it came to local regional progression at three years, the rate was less than half with the addition of local regional therapy, 16% versus 40%. Importantly, local regional therapy led to more symptoms without a major impact on patient worry about tumor growth. At 18 months, quality of life was significantly better in the systemic therapy arm. The bottom line is, while local regional therapy improves local regional control for patients with de novo metastatic breast cancer, there is no improvement in overall survival or quality of life. Thanks to Khan, JCO, 2022. Up next, easy to swallow. We got a taste of Order 2 at Astro 2021, where we learned the oncologic and survival outcomes were excellent following definitive radiation to 60 gray for early stage HPV positive oropharyngeal cancer. We now have the long-term results of its predecessor, Order. To recap, this phase two trial randomized 68 patients with T1 to T2 N0 to N2, HPV-positive oral pharyngeal cancer, to upfront transoral robotic surgery, TORS, with neck dissection, versus definitive radiation to the standard 70 gray in 35 fractions. So let's back up for a minute. Why this design? Everyone agrees that these patients oftentimes do extremely well, and patients that do well should have an opportunity to have less toxic therapy explored. However, it is important to ensure that oncologic outcomes aren't compromised in an attempt to do that. So Orator compared a standard of care treatment with 70 gray to another standard of care treatment with TORS to better understand this. On the one hand, surgery has the inherent benefit of being a one-day treatment. On the other hand, a majority, 70% on this trial, consistently merit post-TORS adjuvant radiation anyway, and are left with the bi- or even trimodality toxicity. Here, adjuvant radiation was received in the setting of LBSI 
close margins, less than two millimeters, and T3 to four or N1 disease, Najmet chemoradiation was utilized in the classic setting of positive margin and external extension. The primary outcome of MDADI scores, a validated measure of swallowing function, remains statistically superior in the radiation arm and not only one year, but also years two and three. The caveat being that these differences are quite small clinically. Other trade-offs included more ototoxicity and neutropenia with definitive radiation and more pain, trismus, and bleeding with TORS. Finally, exploratory analyses suggest poorer swallowing outcomes after TORS may be more explained by primary tumor location, meaning base of tongue versus well-lateralized tonsil, more so than whether or not the patient received adjuvant radiation. Once again, this was exploratory. The bottom line is, quality of life is pretty good after either upfront tours or radiation for early stage HPV-positive oropharyngeal cancer, but swallowing outcomes are technically slightly better after radiation. Thanks to Nichols, JCO, 2022. Up next, depends who's asking. What are the risks and benefits of giving bicalutamide in lieu of an LHRH agonist during radiation for prostate cancer? The CHIP trial demonstrated the non-inferiority of 60 gray in 20 fractions for prostate cancer. Most patients in the CHIP trial received 3 to 6 months ADT with either an LHRH agonist or 150 milligrams of bicalutamide. In this exploratory analysis, 2,700 CHIP patients had an LHRH agonist and 403 had bicalutamide. After adjusting for differences between groups, there was no significant difference in the risk of biochemical failure. At five years, biochemical failure-free survival was 88% with LHRH agonists and 86% with bicalutamide. So one question is, did bicalutamide reduce sexual dysfunction? And the answer is kinda. Among men with preserved erectile function at baseline, the clinician reported lint som scale found half as many men had erectile dysfunction at two years with bicalutamide, 25% versus 53%. A different clinician reported scale found sexual dysfunction was numerically, but not significantly, lower with bicalutamide. Finally, there were no differences in sexual outcomes using a patient reported scale. And while bicalutamide resulted in fewer hot flashes, there was a higher rate of breast tenderness, 26 versus 3%. Thanks to Tree, Red Journal, 2022. Up next, a RAD investigation. We know radiation is not always safe concurrent with immune checkpoint inhibition. At the same time, Big Pharma has seen no reason to prioritize establishing the safety of radiation during or around the time of immune checkpoint inhibition in landmark trials gaining their respective FDA approvals. 
This ingenious investigation, as published in JAMA Oncology 2021 by Ancher et al., found a practical workaround. It used an FDA database comprising 68 prospective trials submitted in initial or supplemental licensing applications for immune checkpoint inhibition, which typically includes receipt of non-protocol cancer therapies, such as radiation. Across 16,835 trial enrollees, those receiving radiation, which was almost 1,800, within 90 days prior to immune checkpoint inhibition, had about a 1% absolute increase in adverse events, mainly fatigue, with no increase in grade 3 plus events. In other words, in general, there are currently no signs for concern, though prospective trials, formally including radiation, would be pretty nice. Finally, cutting edge, cost-effective, and curative. That is a description of modern radiation, which has definitely come a long way since its inception. This article by Fleming in Guardian 2021 highlights how recent incredible advancements in related technologies, efficacy, safety, and convenience have far outpaced progress in public relations for radiotherapy. This concludes today's episode of The Quad Shot. If you like what you've heard, please consider giving us a five-star rating and subscribing to our podcast. Also, check out our website at www.quadshotnews.com and subscribe to our newsletter. We'll catch you next time.